and welcome to Western Reaches episode 27. We are a Toshi Station podcast about games, books, and whatever other nerdy stuff we feel like talking about. I'm one of your hosts, Saf, and with me as always is Megan. Hey. Today, we don't really have any special big topic to talk about because we have been living very busy lives, and so it's been hard to find time to come up with anything really big. Um, so we're mainly going to talk about just some books and some games we've been doing because that's cool stuff. First up, though, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Checkpoint, which is an organization, a charity in Australia and New Zealand that does stuff about mental health and games and the intersection between the two. We had Jennifer Hazel on way back as a guest to talk about mental health and Pokemon, if you remember that episode. She is now launching, she has launched last week, a Kickstarter campaign for a Checkpoint web series, which is all about mental health, video games, and how to use video games to make mental health better and so if you are interested in video games at all or mental health at all you should definitely go check out this kickstarter if you google checkpoint kickstarter you'll probably find it it's not a simple url i guess so go look at that go pledge because this is a very very important topic and it's something that could help a lot of people i think Cool, yeah, I haven't been involved with that, but it seems like a really good cause. And like, I always love these sort of intersections between geek things and really important issues. So uh, sort of using the, the geek community to do good things for a wider community. Yeah, and I think the web series is going to have interviews with some like pretty big video game names. Um, I cannot remember any of them off the top of my head, but there are some cool people in there, some very cool people involved. So definitely go check that out. But in less mental health news, but still video games, Megan, what have you been playing recently? Yeah, so that actually a little bit goes into one of the things I wanted to talk about. The uh, Destiny 2 gameplay premiere was today. Um, Bungie had a bunch of people out to play the game and to see the new trailer and to learn a lot more about what Destiny 2 is going to be. Um, I was not one of them, unfortunately. I would love to have been able to go out there and play it, but I was was watching at home and uh, it looks awesome. And one of the things that, like, I... I especially wanted to point out was that they changed the way they're doing matchmaking and they changed the way they're doing um, socialization in general in a way in which they try to keep it friendly. So Destiny has had problems in the past with not enough communication. There's no chat function. There's uh, not always matchmaking. It can be hard to find groups. It can be hard to find higher level content if you don't have six friends or five friends who are playing. So what they're doing with Destiny 2 um, is implementing clans and implementing what's called guided games, which means that it's basically looking for groups. So someone can request to join a clan and then that clan will help them out with whatever mission they want to do um, if they don't have a group of their own. And Bungie talked about wanting specifically to make it, to make the process exclusive, uh, excuse me, that was the opposite I went to, meant to say, <laughs> inclusive. <laughs> um, uh, yes, no raids for you, just exclusive. Um, maybe some PlayStation exclusives, but that's not this news. Um, they wanted to make it inclusive, they wanted to make it friendly, so they wanted to give people a chance to meet friends, but 
also for clans to be kind of moderated. So I really like that they really seemed to care about making strong community and making a community that didn't have that toxicity that shooters sometimes have. Um, so I really hope this works. I have my people that I think I'm going to make a clan with, and uh, I'm really excited. It's it's kind of formalizing stuff players have already been doing. There have been forums where you could say, hey, I need a group. But with clans, you'll be able to actually, in the game, check out the people you could be playing with, and they'll have their like description of who they are or whatever. I, I, I believe so. I haven't seen the actual UI for this. But um, it'll make it a little easier. And that's one of the things they showed in this reveal was just making a lot of things easier. Um, and Destiny is, like, the game that I've played the most over the past three years, but it's hard to love sometimes, and they're making a lot of changes <laughs> that I think will make it easier to love. That's really cool to hear. I remember earlier today seeing one of my friends talking about being excited for Destiny 2 because of that, because they don't have any friends who play it, so they've always struggled to get to higher level stuff because they haven't been able to team up with people. So it's cool they're actually making that a lot easier in-game. And I like the idea of them trying to make it friendly and inclusive from the ground up. So, like, they're actively trying to build it to avoid toxicity because that's one of the first steps in stopping that from happening. Yeah, and I really hope it works the way they, they think it does. And, like, I just think this is so ironic because... It like when Destiny started, I had very few people to play with, and I was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna play on my own. Like, I'm not interested in joining." And now I'm like, "Oh yeah, I know exactly who I'm gonna form a clan with." Like, it's a, <laughs> it's come a, a long way in terms of being able to meet people. And I didn't meet them while well through the game. I met them through different things, through different chats. But it's worked out really well for me, and I hope that, especially with Destiny Two coming to PC, the player base gets larger in a good way rather than a bad way um and there can be like toxic elements of that too but we'll have to wait and see and so far everything i've seen looks really good i am really excited about it being on pc because it means i will probably actually get it once i get a new computer yes join us <laughs> yes it, is it cross-platform or do you need to own it on the same console as your friends to play um, so I don't believe it's cross-platform, but I had not looked for that particularly. Um, they did not explicitly announce that it was, so I'm guessing no, but I would have to look that up. Okay. All right. Well, I'll still get it. I'll still play it. <laughs> yeah, and now you'll be able to find <laughs> to find a group more easily. It's yes. uh, sort of the criticism and the positive side are... Let me start that sentence again. <laughs> Both the people who are being critical of it and the people who are really positive about it are saying the same thing, which is that it's what Destiny should have been in the first place. And I agree, because while I love Destiny, the lore is hard to find. All the most interesting story you have to look at on a browser or on your phone, not on your actual TV screen, um, or you have to switch between, between apps or whatever. Um, you can't get it in the game itself. Um, the UI can be clunky. The The map is not great. Um, it's a little... It's hard to get into the story. The writing was not amazing in the main game. So, <laughs> And it's, like, it's a hard game to convince people to play because there's a lot of caveats. But at the same time, the combat is awesome. The world is really good. The world just felt small. And uh, so far, Destiny 2 is doing everything I wanted it to do in terms of 
for owning that world. It's uh, we're actually getting to go to some of like the outer planets and the outer moons now, which I wanted for three years, <laughs> <laughs> and and um, making transport between planets easier, adding some cool powers, adding like different uh, um, like shooter mechanics. I'm really excited. It just looks like they didn't change too much that would it would be annoying, and they didn't leave it so similar that I think it's going to have the same problems. I'm really excited to play the beta, which is coming sometime this summer. And then, I th- yet again, yeah. I will not shut up about Destiny. No, it's fine. I think there's something really special about Disney because, like, a lot of a lot of games come out and they're kind of like when they're not super good at the start and people just kind of forget about them. But Disney, like, people I know who play Disney still just are very committed to the game. Like, yeah, they they know it has issues and there's all that stuff, but they still love the game. And I think the fact they've managed to keep that kind of core player base very committed to it means that when they release this game and it's like polishing up all of the issues they had with the first game, like. It's going to be a really good game. Yeah, that's true. I think Bungie has an amazing community. And, like, I don't, I'm not on their forums. I don't know what, like, their forum community looks like. That's not really what I mean when I talk about the community. But they have such good, um, sort of brand loyalty, I guess I would say. Like, yeah. people, <laughs> people have a lot of faith in them, even though Destiny had problems. And I think they handled it well. And, uh, I yeah, I mean me too. Everybody that I know who is still into it understands its flaws, but it's almost like a tradition like you go on once a week or something and see what everybody's up to and um I think in order to like uh oh gosh, sorry. Um my my train of thought just completely derailed. <laughs> it's all good. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see more people come on the bandwagon. That's that's all I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, so the uh, the other thing that I played this week was Prey. Um, I pr- played oh, the I'm one... I'm so jealous. <laughs> Are you, were you excited for that? <laughs> I'm so excited for it. Yeah. Um, so I played the one-hour demo, and it was cool, but it did not convince me to buy it right away. Um, and that's, like, kind of a... Um, your mileage may vary sort of thing because I have a lot of other games on my plate. Like it was fighting against Horizon. It was fighting against Aspect Andromeda. So haven't bought it yet, but um, it, it still is cool. I really love the look of it. It's got this like art deco kind of thing that reminds me a lot of Dishonored. And basically all I wanted from this was Dishonored in space. And that's exactly <laughs> what it was. <laughs> so sweet. I guess, oh, what? That's sweet. <laughs> it is basically that. Yeah, in terms of the visual design, very much so. I, the mm. place where that comparison kind of was actually a, a weakness, though, was the story. Um, you know, you don't see too much in an hour, and that hour was mostly spent with three major characters, maybe. Like, you didn't get to meet, you didn't get to meet many people, obviously. But um, I found that the character lacked motivation in a way that didn't happen in in Dishonored. Like, in Dishonored, it was very clearly, like, okay, somebody, like, killed the Empress, you need to get revenge. Like, that's very easy. Whereas in Prey, the beginning was designed a little bit to confuse you. And I don't want to go into detail because even though it's a free demo, like, I don't want to spoil it, but it's designed to 
surprise you and it did surprise me and it surprised me in cool ways but it ended up giving a sort of impression of I didn't really know what the character thought was going on um it has that amnesia thing which I think we'll talk about a little bit later too which in this case I didn't think worked quite as well as it did in others um and the early impression of unreality made it feel kind of fake rather than shocking. Like I was left wondering not, oh, what's going on in this world? But, oh, what was the meeting that happened to discuss how to make the player wonder what was going on in this world? So, right. yeah, so it was a little, um, a little thin. Um, I like the combat. Like so far it's cool. It's a little, I've only fought the really like low level enemies, so it might get more, um, kind of more impactful later on. But yeah, I that was my my general impression. Yeah, no, I can understand that. I mean, I haven't played it yet, and I don't know much about it because I've been. I want to be surprised when I actually get to it. But I've you're not the first person I've seen talk about Morgan's motivation, at least at the start. Um, so you're at least not alone there. <laughs> and I think that'll change as you go on because part of the point is that Morgan herself doesn't really know what's happening and i'm sure like as you find out more you can the character will speak more or you can project more or something maybe that just wasn't as strong in the beginning as it could have been yeah i mean i feel like at the start of games it should be like your connection to the character should be strong like they should build it up fast but i can also see why they would do what they're doing i guess i mean i have to play it to see properly but it's, th- I mean, the openings of games are hard to get right because it's such an important part. So sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> and especially because I was comparing it like very actively to Dishonored, which had such a strong opening. Yeah, the the one thing that I really liked about the opening was that they actually like incorporated the credits into the gameplay a little bit. Like you'd Ooh. be walking around and then you'd like see the name of the game and the credits, and it was a brief sequence, but it was a really artistic sequence okay that sounds that makes me really keen to play the demo because i really want to see that i actually thought of you because it was i'd never seen anything like it before it was really creative that's so cool i love i love stuff like that so much (laughs) i really is it is it a it's quite a demanding game isn't it it's probably gonna crash my laptop if i try i mean it is as sophisticated possibly just pure graphics intensity like it's more so than andromeda but i don't know i'm not a pc person so i'm sorry i can't really all i can say is it's as pretty as you know it's as pretty as other example dishonored 2 yeah no that's fair wait (laughs) i could probably just play it on the ps4 maybe i should do that (laughs) maybe next time i'll have played this demo and i can be excited about it Cool. And I, I do think that maybe the inclusion of the credits contributed to the feeling of unreality because it, it mm. was b- breaking the fourth wall, essentially. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm curious to see if that will bother you. Hmm. Interesting. I'm really, I'm really excited to play this now, mainly because of the credit thing, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Saf is going to like think this is so cool. Saf is going to take notes. <laughs> I probably am, honestly. I'll pause it to take some notes. That's going to be bad. <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. That's super useful. The uh, The fourth wall is actually plodding slowly into 
place again in Andromeda for me. Um, I think I mentioned last time that I was bored by Andromeda. Um, yeah. And I'm, I've started doing the loyalty missions and it, it is true what everyone is saying that the loyalty missions are the best part. Um, I just finished Liam's loyalty mission and I was just like, where was this writer the whole game? I don't know who <laughs> wrote that section, <laughs> but I was laughing. I was attached to the characters. Like it felt, and it, it, it packed a lot of creative stuff in a relatively short amount of time. You know, not, not like stuff I'd never seen before, but something that was, that was fun and interesting and different. And uh, I felt like the world was coming together in the way that it did for me with Mass Effect 2. Um, and then, of course, the animation is still jarring, but that's the, the short version of my update. Um, my Mass Effect behavior has basically been to try to go through the uh, beacons as quickly as possible because they were tedious and I wanted to get them done. But then <laughs> I think now I had like a whole to-do list written down in my phone but now I think I'm going to do the loyalty missions that I have to unlock just because like, I think it makes more emotional sense to get to want to know the characters more and they're just more fun. So I'm doing the Asari one, Korra's loyalty mission now, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm glad to hear the loyalty missions are at least good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's tough. Like I was kind of saying this before. I'm not the kind of person that will... Um, like if you tell me, oh, this TV show gets really good at season three or something, <laughs> unless I am, you know, out of a job for a month and have no responsibilities, I'm not going to watch those three seasons to get to the good one. I just, I don't have time. I don't really work like that. And so this game is like that TV show to me. It's like, you have to play 20 hours to get to something that makes you laugh. And... It's it's hard for me to recommend that. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're not a Mass Effect fan, it probably wouldn't work as a recommendation, anyways. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I'm gonna have more to say about this. We we do still plan to have an episode about Andromeda, and um, I'm sure I'll have more to say after it's finished. I'm starting to see some interesting themes and stuff, but they're all kind of spoilery. So I, I think that's really all that I have to say about that right now. I'm, I'm kind of picking away at it. I'll play it for an hour at night or something and then, uh, you know, have to do something else. But it's, uh, it's, it's growing on me slowly. <laughs> that's reassuring to hear. <laughs> yeah, I had, oh, there's a bit about an AI, um, like an AI rights group. Did I mention that to you before? No, what? Yeah, so I thought that was cool. There's, um, you go to the Nexus, right, and you get a message from somebody that says they want to liberate your AI. Oh and they put, like, a virus in him to try to, like, liberate him. And then you have to go, like, meet with this hacker. And I haven't done that yet, but... I thought that was kind of interesting. I just, I'm still stuck on how Bioware said in the beginning of uh, of the marketing for this game. They said that you're going to be closer with Sam than you were with Edie. And that's still like, 
hurts my brain to think about where that message came from because <laughs> Edie was like in a romantic relationship with a member of your crew. Like she was had all these like musings about what it meant to be human, about what her decisions were going to be. Like she made some of her own decisions. You made some that determined the course of her life. Like she was effectively a person by the end of the story. I was like, how can you get more? How can you get closer to someone than that? Like how, and I think they just meant like physically, like Sam is like <laughs> in, it's like neural lace. So he's always like in your head. Yeah. But I still kind of just think it was a funny, it was a funny way to say that. And I don't think the comparison is really as there as people want it to be. Cause like his function is completely different too. He doesn't really manage the ship in the same way. I don't know. I have opinions about AI and Mass Effect. <laughs> I'm sure I will too once I get there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I have to go meet this hacker and see what he wants. Hopefully, hopefully he can help. <laughs> yeah. And I do, I like Ryder. Um, the kind of distinctions that Ryder makes, like you can have her be very nervous and you can have her kind of admit when she's wrong. And that's one thing that I kind of like about this. Um, Ryder will admit when she feels like she's like overstepping her bounds when it comes to the aliens that live in the other galaxy. Or um, Liam admits he's wrong when he does the thing that kicks off his loyalty mission. Um, the characters are very human. And at first, I definitely felt like they're just like they're not endearingly human. They're just kind of bad at their jobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> but now I'm getting to know them more and I'm, I'm getting more attached to them. I still, I'm not a huge Vetra fan where a lot of people are, I think. I like Korra. I'm not a huge Vetra fan, but I haven't done her loyalty mission yet. So we'll see. I'll probably like her more after that. Yeah. I am really excited for when we both finish this game can actually talk about it because I'm sure we're going to have a lot of thoughts about it. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing. We really are going to have a spoiler episode. I, I feel bad that I haven't finished it yet, but we really do have to have an episode where we like, first of all, get someone on here who loves it so that we can get both sides. And second of all, actually talk about like spoilers and both have finished it so yeah i mean you're you're definitely doing better than me because you've actually played it i'm still like two hours into it because i've been busy trying to finish horizon well that gives us a chance to give people realistic expectations so we yeah. might not finish it it's not going to be soon but it's going to happen it'll be eventually <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. um so speaking of expectations when a couple episodes ago i said that my twine game would be out um my twine game is out. Yay! Yay! And the uh, the second one I'm still still working on. Um, I learned in the first one that I like to write the branches out by hand when I first start planning it. And I've gotten away from that a little bit in the second one, and I already regret. Like, I really should have <laughs> planned all the branches in the first place, because I know the structure but i don't know all the branches right now so <laughs> that's fun <laughs> um yeah but, yeah but that's um available on philomena and i i put links to it on all my social media stuff so you can find it or on uh on my website so 
Yeah, I hope it's fun. It's like, you know, it, it's small. Um, but that's something that I can say I did now. <laughs> I'm going to go play that after this episode. Uh, have you not played it yet, Sap? No, because I wrote it down to play it. And then I've just been so overwhelmed trying to catch up with work. It's just been sitting in my browser, <laughs> like open, uh, but not played. Uh, no, that's okay. And even like I say, I hope it's fun. I don't really mean it. It's not even that it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be kind of <laughs> wistful and weird. <laughs> so I hope it makes you think and gives you feelings. The next one will be fun, I hope. All right. I'm, I'm excited to see it finally. <laughs> it's a very kind of, um, it's more personal than than the stuff I usually read. Like it's not. I mean, it's kind of science fiction. It, it's sort of fantasy, but it's not an adventure story. It's not a hard sci-fi story. It's just kind of a weird little journey. That sounds cool, though. That's kind of what Twine is for, is just doing weird little things. Yep. And I was really glad we had a listener um, reach out to us on Twitter who said they're working on teaching uh, teaching like young kids, I think, and because was inspired to teach twine, and I just that like warmed my heart, and thought that was really cool. Yes, that was so lovely. I w- when I read that, I was just like, oh my god, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm so glad they told us, and I just can't imagine like, I, I mean, obviously, I didn't have this program when I was a kid, so I feel like it's such a great opportunity for kids to learn to do things like this. Yeah, I agree. I did a workshop um, play-by-play last year for Twine, and one kid got really into it, and I was like, yes, make your games, write games, keep doing this. It was very exciting. Yeah. I learned recently that a, an old friend of mine is working at a like a programming camp right now around here, so I might see if they um, have any writing, like like short-term writing class opportunities or anything. I think, like, it would be something that um, I would be teaching rather than attending, but um, it's kind of cool to see they're opening a bunch of different schools in this area now. Ooh, that's really cool. Yeah. And actually, speaking of twine, that reminds me. Um, I went to GX Australia, which is a which was a convention, like an inclusive gaming convention in Sydney, and there was a talk there that I missed, which I'm still mad about, but it got recorded, so I'm going to watch it, which was about like hacking your twine game. Um. And the guy that did Killing Time at Lightspeed, uh, John Kane, was one of the people on the panel, and I was talking about how to like, just like do little things to make your Twine game look more professional and different. And I'm like, I really need to, <laughs> I really need to go watch that because I can write Twine games fine, but I don't know how to make them look good. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that I'm always nervous about is the skill that I'm trying to work on is writing, and the skill is putting the story together. I'm not an artist. I'm not a graphic designer. And it's such a a good way to get your your game seen and to get the word around if it looks cool or if it has like cool effects. And like, I generally feel like I just can't do that. But to a degree, especially in something like Twine, it's something any anyone can learn to do. It's just a it's a formula. So that sounds really cool. Yeah, that's kind of my biggest problem too, is like, I I want to make my Twine games look good so people want to play them, because I just started planning out a new one 
Um, and I want it to look different, but I don't know how to do any of it. So I'm just like, maybe it'll work and maybe I won't be able to do this. But I mean, Twine and CSS and all that stuff is relatively easy to learn once you actually get down to it. It's just a matter of putting in the effort and experimenting a lot until you get there, I think. Yeah. And a matter of defining your own aesthetic to a degree, I think, like knowing exactly how you want it to look. Yep. That's definitely something that I should do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, have you been playing any other games or is that oh, everything? Oh, no. Um, so that's the end of my, my game report. I have the update that gives me the new photo mode in Horizon, but I haven't touched Ooh. it yet. Um, I really, I want to, it'll be really fun, but it's one of those things where like, I, I, right now I don't have any like pitches out about it. I don't, I'm not like. I finished the main story. I don't need to play it, so I keep putting it aside. But the photo mode looks like so much fun. You can do poses now. It's I know. It looks so cool. I really need to download it. Um, I'm going to do that later today, probably, if I have time. Because I really want to mess around with that. Like Updating photo mode is like the biggest thing that could excite me entirely. Um, but I still... <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing mostly Horizon recently. I've got, like... God, I don't even know. I played it so much last week because I um, ended up being really sick, so I didn't have time for work, so I just ended up playing Horizon the whole time. Um, and also my laptop died for a while, so I had nothing else to do. And I didn't get any further in the story at all, but I went up like 10 levels and have almost finished all of the collectibles. Um, I think I actually wandered to that in-game area because I was trying to get the final vantage and it was there. And I was like climbing up something and I got a cutscene. There was a stormbird and I was like, Okay, this is what everyone was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so... I only recently discovered that you can get there without actually going on that quest. Like, because when you do that quest, you get, like, there's dialogue and stuff. Like, you get, you know, elements of the quest as you're climbing up that mountain. And then I came across some people who were saying, like, oh my gosh, there's a stormbird up here. What's going on? And it turns out, like, no, you can just climb up there whenever you want. <laughs> yep, that's like... what I did. Because <laughs> a lot of my friends had done that. Like, they talked about accidentally wandering into a storm stormbird and being like, I think this is where the end game is. Um, and I was like, I wonder where that is. And I wasn't going out of my way to find it. But when I got there, I was like, yep, okay, I found it. <laughs> I mean... For the record, that's not the absolute end game. That's like the penultimate game. I kind of figured that, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's very obvious once you get there that you're not supposed to be there yet. That's really funny. That game has definitely become a kind of comfort zone for me. And Destiny is too, where like I just like to hang out on those planets. And I just like to hang out in Horizon in the like the jungle areas because it's just really calming and pleasant. Yeah, I found it really relaxing just to sit and play it, even though it's I get really stressed when I'm playing it because I'm playing on hard mode and like, though it's actually because I changed it down a while back to like not being very hard or whatever it is because I wanted to finish the game before I traveled and then I didn't and I got home and I was like, I still want to finish this game. So I'm keeping it on hard mode, but it's really easy now because I know how all the like all the different beasts work and everything. I mean, unless I encounter like a rock breaker, like those scare me, um, which I finally encountered a rock breaker. <laughs> it was terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, genuinely terrifying because I like snipe them. I think I could hear it behind me, and I was just like, I I have a feeling I know what that is. And when I turned oh, around, no. I was like, Yep, there it is. And I ran away because I'm a wuss. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
once you learn how all the things work and because I've leveled up so much, like I'm not scared of just running into battle with things anymore. And I'm like, it's not actually that hard now, but I really, I'm really impressed by how much it's managed to keep me into the game. Cause usually open world games like cannot for the life of them, make me do side quests or make me like explore the world or do any of the extra collectibles or anything. Like it is very hard to make me do that in a game. And somehow Horizon has just managed to like perfect that formula. And I really love exploring the world. I really like fighting the machines, even though I morally I hate fighting them, but personally it's like very fun to do. Um, but the collectibles I think were really cool because the Vantages have this very, like a really cool story with them. Like I got really emotional about the, uh, the apocalypse thing that that character <laughs> yeah. is doing. Yeah. Um, so I went out my way to get all of the Vantages and read that story. And I was just like, this is, this is beautiful writing. It's so good. Um, and then I also have been collecting the metal flowers because they all have those po- poems with them. And I thought, like, rewarding me with poetry is probably one of the few ways to actually get me to do collectibles. Like, I haven't really done many of the Banuk figures except for when they're near me. And I'm like, okay, I'll go grab that. But the metal flowers and the vantages, I have been going out of my way to collect because I really wanted the things that they come with. Yeah. I, um, as much as I've been playing this game, I haven't gotten all the collectibles because I was mainly focused on the quest, but, and I discovered the metal flowers relatively early, but I do love that they give you, they give you those bits of poetry and they give you like bits of story. It, uh, cause where I am now, I'm level 45 or 43 or something. And I have the, um, the power armor so I can, I'm pretty safe. I can like soak up anything if I can't actually kill it quickly. And um, so I feel pretty safe walking around, but there's always that element of like surprise. Like I won't like my character won't die if a machine comes hurtling out of the woods, but I'll be surprised. <laughs> like, yeah. And um, it feels alive and it feels real. And like those little bits of text are, are really something that really contributes to that. And I think that all the side quests have their own hook to them. And like, I mean, I'd said this before, um, but it never felt like a chore to do all the quests. They all kind of like fit together very nicely and they all had interesting characters and they all felt like they were um, the products of, of real people, you know, in terms of like the cultures that are depicted in the game. Yeah. Cause like, they're not all the same thing. Like in Dragon Age Inquisition, if you get side quests, it's probably go kill this thing or go grab this thing or whatever. Um, but in this, like, I mean, a lot of it is doing that, but there's also like exploration and like solving issues between characters and like actual interesting narrative stuff happening with the side quests that whenever I see one, I'm like, oh, I wonder what that is. I wonder what's happening there kind of thing. And I really like. I have I have talked trash about the main story of Horizon, but I feel like the rest of the world has done so well that it's just I don't even care. Like like I said, I haven't gotten any. I've played this game for like probably like ten hours more or something, and I still haven't gotten any further through the main story. But I'm still loving the game so much, and uh, I just I remember because I was I for ages I thought the poems with the metal flowers were just like written for the game, like original poems, and then I found um I wandered lonely as it cloud or whatever which is like one of my favorite poems and the moment yeah. i saw it i was like oh my god is that poem these are not original poems yep and like you find out what those like who put them there and it all kind of ties in together nicely Ooh, i'm very excited for that yeah yeah it's a it's a good game i'm really i'm so in love with it 
I've been I've also been doing the cauldrons, which are terrifying. Um, and then someone told me there's a thunder draw in one of the cauldrons, and I stopped doing them because I was really scared. Yeah. Oh, so I was gonna say, um, you said you feel morally uncomfortable with killing the machines. Like, I get it. They're they're wonderful, and they should be friends. But um, you can over eventually override anything, I think, except corrupted machines. So definitely go for the cauldrons. Yeah, I just I finally did one that like unlocked overriding like half of the things i usually see and i was like thank god finally <laughs> i can escape all of these things easier than before yeah um yeah there's the I feel one like... cauldron that has a thunder draw i think it's no i think it's uh don't quote me on this but i think it's the snap maw one it has a snap maw and a ravager in it yes but like... i just did that one <laughs> yeah but like you can't like i don't even know where the ravager is I don't know where it comes from. (laughs) Yeah, like you don't see it. It just appears once you trigger the event. And I'm like, where did this guy come from? Yeah, because I laid out all these traps perfectly to like, so the snap maw would walk towards me, snap jaw, would walk towards me and then die from all the traps, right? And that worked. That plan worked perfectly. And then the ravager came out and I was like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which like, traps are a solid cauldron strategy. That's how I got through most of them. But yep. yeah, now I'm trapped in this in this room with two huge machines. <laughs> it is terrifying. Like, yeah, I really need to finish this game, like story wise, and then just keep exploring or something. But I'm just, it's so much fun. And I mean, everyone's always talking about how good it is, and it is a very good game. I just, I love it so much. I mean, I could go on and on about how much I like the story and how much I'm kind of like still discovering things about it and stuff, but. The other thing that I really like about this, which is I'm sure kind of a, a no-brainer, but it, is that it is a female-led game that people are generally saying is really good, and it's an original property, and those two things don't always work out well. So I'm just really happy to see all the reviews being so positive, and just the kind of more and more people getting on board with it just through word of mouth. Yeah, like those two things can be relative risks for new for companies and i'm like i'm so glad this game is as good as as it is and people are loving it so much because it's just it's great it's so good yeah do you find yourself like do you like aloy are you having trouble still with some of the story stuff or i really have no strong feelings on aloy i guess because i haven't been doing enough actual story stuff to really be building her character at all like i don't she doesn't talk that much except to herself when she wanders in some place and she makes some comment um so she's just kind of a character still for me i guess um that might change later on i don't really know but okay yeah yeah i ask mostly because i um have relatively like low standards but strict criteria when it comes to how female characters are treated which i think <laughs> a lot of people do because there have been so many that are like kind of just either very flat characters or very obviously women written by men and like Aloy I believe the no I'm not gonna I don't know I'm not gonna say that without knowing whether it's right (laughs) never mind um I uh found that Aloy was she was really cool she was really accomplished like she's definitely that protagonist where every person compliments her and is like, Oh, you're so awesome. You're, you're my hero. But she also has faults and she even like her teeth are crooked. Like she kind of looks like a real person. She's stylized, but she looks like she lives in the world she belongs to her hair is kind of matted. Like I, um, 
I think they avoided really common pitfalls and they did that by treating her like a character. And that's like not, that's a really low bar, but it's not always one that people <laughs> hit for female characters. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I also appreciate that sometimes I can make her be a really terrible person. Um, <laughs> when you get the choices, I always pick like the really angry response because I'm like, yes, this is good. Um, I still have no idea if like, like I part of the reason I want to finish the story is so that I actually know if the choices actually mean anything in the end or if they're just there to give you some interactivity in the cutscenes. But um, I do appreciate whenever I can just be really mean to someone. Yeah, and part of what I like about that too is that either way. And, and it's not as binary as, like, you can be nice or you can be mean. It's these different um, kind of uh, priorities that you can choose for her. But any one of them can be justified by her upbringing. Like, you can say that, okay, she was an outcast, so naturally she would be lashing out at the people around her because they didn't treat her well. Or you can say she's, she's kind and open and you know, whatever degree of, of spirituality the spirituality you want to ascribe to her despite her upbringing. Um, they never kind of cut off either of those avenues while at the same time not making it like a binary renegade paragon choice. Yeah, I really appreciate how they do the choices, I think. Yeah, and um, I am curious about what you'll think about the kind of discussion of religion and spirituality in this, but we have to get to the end first. <laughs> I didn't even know there was like a big thing about that. Yeah, I'll get, hopefully next episode, because I'm going to, I plan on playing it a lot next week. Hopefully next episode I'll actually finish the game. So we'll see. Um, I haven't really played anything else apart from that because I've been busy and also that has been dominating my life whenever I do play it. Um, but I have checked out a demo of a game called 29, which I may have talked about like a million years ago on another episode. Um, but it's being done by an indie game company called Humble Grove, I think. Um, who's, who a company that I've been watching for company. I don't know if they're a full company, but I've been watching them for a while. And 29 is like this little kind of, kind of surrealist exploration game not really exploration game it's an exploration of a house um or a flat that two people share and it's about before they move they're about to move out of the house and so it's basically like you just from what i gather from the demo i there might be more on the actual final game but it's kind of like you just wander around the house and look at things and learn about their lives and it's got a lot of like quite heavy like growth and plant metaphors which i think is like it works really well with the surrealist thing they've got going on and there's a monster in a room who's just kind of chilling there um and i want i really want to know more about the two characters in the game like what i played is it's not much but it's really it's a really cute little kind of simplistic low poly style um and the writing is really good like it's very like i said kind of surrealist um a little bit like self-depreciating humorous at times but also quite like fantasy and you can kind of get the wistfulness in it and i really appreciate that like how well that comes through through just like a few interactions with different objects around the room um i really want the final game when it comes out like i've been watching this game for ages and i'm really excited about it because it's just it seems like a very chill little indie game but it feels like it has a lot of heart that sounds really good i like the sound of plants and like a theme of growth and a theme of living things yeah there was like there's like a guitar hanging on a wall or something you can look at and it's like the main character's last working guitar um and they say something about how there's plants growing in it like inside of it or something like that and i was like that's such a cool image 
Um, and the imagery is just, yeah, it's really cool. I, it kind of like comes with the feeling of like the world being big and scary on the outside, but like in their home, it's a little bit safer. And I don't know if that's like when you go outside, it's just the house like floating in space pretty much, which is a really cool kind of look. Like it's very, it's a very strange little game, but I really like it. So I just Googled it and I'm having some trouble finding it. I see an article about it, but um, where is it available or where would people go to find out more about it? Um, I was actually playing a press demo, so it's not actually released yet, um, but I think they might have a mailing list. If you f- look up Humblegrove on, like, at Humblegrove on Twitter, you can find their Twitter account and then everything is kind of from there. Um, they also have a Patreon, which I think I subscribe to. Um, and yeah, they're, it's, I am pals with one of the developers and they're just like the loveliest person ever. Cool. I'm going to look that up right now. Yes. Good plan. And yeah, I definitely, if you like chill indie games, I definitely advise keeping an eye out for this one because they've been showing it off at a lot of like uh, events over in Europe. And from what I've been hearing from them, they've been getting a lot of good reactions from that as well. So I'm very excited. Oh, it looks super cute. I've been more into this pixel art style lately. It's such a cool style. I love it so much. Yeah, it looks really cute. Yeah. Yeah, that's about all the other games I've been playing. Um, I also went to GX Australia, which I mentioned before, um, and I was on five panels there, so it was a very exhausting weekend. Um, wow. I talked, <laughs> yeah, I talked about like mental health representation, asexuality, uh, m- visual novels, why queer people love robots so much, and... Genuinely, I've forgotten the last thing. Oh, I talked about um more like queer representation stuff. Um, it was it's it was its last year because of reasons. So they are not doing another one in Australia, even though GX itself is still on in America. But um, it was like it was the most inclusive and like warm and cozy convention I've ever been to. Like I felt instantly accepted the moment I was there and. Like, everyone was just so kind, and the panels were just so friendly, and all of the panels I were on had, like, hashtags, so when you're in the panel, you could, like, the audience could ask questions and talk to us through the hashtag, and so I'd sit there during the panel and, like, talk as a panelist and then also reply to people on the hashtag, and that also, like, gave it such, like, a more of a strong community vibe, which was really cool. Like, that was largely because our moderators set those up. That wasn't a convention standard thing, um, but just everything about the convention was just amazing. It was just like an open space for like queer and minority people to just be who they were and talk about games and play games. And it was such an amazing experience. And I'm really, I almost didn't go. I'm really glad I did. Yeah, that sounds really nice. I um, I have to ask about that robots panel. Can you give me like <laughs> a one sentence thesis about what that was about? So, okay. So, it originally came it came from um, the panelists I was doing that with. I was we were also doing a visual novel panel about why visual novels are like a queer inclusive space or have become a queer inclusive space. Um, and then while we were there, we were all just like in that discussion, we were all talking about how much we love robots. And then so our moderator was like, you know what, we should just do a panel about why we love robots. And we kind of ended up that we like robots a lot because well, at least what I kind of gathered from myself because I hadn't thought about it before the panel really um, is that robots are often like the other in stories or that they can easily be read as 
different kinds of minorities so they can easily like they're often written like as non-neurotypical or like without relationships or struggling with social interactions and so i think a lot of people who are like who aren't neurotypical or who are queer or any other kind of minority kind of identify with where robots end up or AIs or synthetics end up being in stories because they are kind of on the outside. Oh man. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. I'd, I'd love to see like a transcript of that or something. Cause my there, first- it's actually, um, it was recorded. So there is the panel. Uh, if you go, I think to GX Australia on YouTube or something, they have all the panels recorded. So that is up there if you ever want to watch it. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to take a look because like my first thought about that is that I tend to like a lot of the robot characters that I really like kind of don't have a gendered body. Like they might have a gendered voice, but they don't really have a gendered body. And that makes it easy to pro- to uh, project on them without kind of taking the assumptions of your gender with you yeah yeah that's that's a really good point actually yeah yeah, yeah i'm I definitely think, gonna gonna watch that at some point i hope you like it it was a really interesting discussion like um i was also with lauren clinic who is um a, a marketing and community management person entrepreneur and she's amazing um snow mcnally who's another writer who i love and tina whose last name i've forgotten who is um actually developing a visual novel called quantum suicide i think and she has a robot you can romance in that um <laughs> and so they're all they're all amazing people who are like super smart and know heaps of things and hearing all of their opinions on it and like being able to discuss that like i learned so much about like representation and also how people view robots and stories and it was just it was a really good discussion yeah that sounds really good yeah um yeah, so that's all my game-related stuff <laughs> recently. Um, how have you been going with books? Read anything interesting? Uh, so I read um, the two most recent Star Wars books from Disney Publishing, Guardians of the Wills and Rebel Rising. Um, I read them on... Uh, I got them on May the 4th, I think. Yes. Nice. <laughs> I think. Yeah, see, obviously my schedule's like hurting my brain slightly. But anyway, <laughs> um, they were both really nice. Um, they were, you know, written kind of for a younger audience. Um, Rebel Rising was about um, targeted to like the same audience that Lost Stars was. Guardians of the Wills was sort of middle grade. Um, Guardians of the Wills had some really funny dialogue. It, it got Bays and Chirrut's voice really perfectly. And it was just like really enjoyable to read. I don't necessarily know that I'm gonna ever like reread it again. Um, maybe not like never again, but like I didn't have like an immediate <laughs> urge to to reread it because the the plot itself is just a little um, a little simpler. They're they're literally rescuing kids from an orphanage, so like it's very pleasant, but it definitely kind of reads like its age group, which is you know that's what it's supposed to do. Um, so. That was, it was just very, very pleasant. Um, Rebel Rising reminded me a lot of the Ahsoka novel, except it kind of covered more ground. And I think that was one of the criticisms of the Ahsoka novel, that it didn't actually tell the whole story of how Ahsoka went from being, you know, walking out of the Jedi Temple to becoming fulcrum it didn't tell everything um rebel rising tells everything from when you see Jin 
in the cave in Rogue One to when you see her in jail. And um, it definitely answered a lot of questions. It had some nice female characters. She kind of obviously had a really like rough and tumble upbringing with Saw Gerrera and his group. And like she has these momentary respites with like really like people that can be like families to her and you're just going through the whole book like I know this is gonna end terribly and like not only is this gonna end terribly then like you've got Rogue One so that's not gonna (laughs) be fun um (laughs) so it was uh it was pretty nice um I like that they they crossed over with a lot of other novels they mentioned stuff that was mentioned in um in Catalyst, they used one of my favorite scenes from the the Rogue One novelization, like one of the additional scenes that I was really hoping would be in Rebel Rising actually was, so that was good. And uh, it got, like, it definitely got into why Jin believes what she does. Um, her, her attitude is just as convincing as it was in the movie, but with more detail. So I wouldn't say that I understood her with um, any more sort of conviction, but I did get more of a sense of the tone of her voice and the kind of rhythm of her attitude, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So I, I did still kind of leave the book going, I don't always know what decision, like I don't always, I can't predict what decision she's going to make, but that's okay because it, it felt like it matched with what we got in Rogue One. Okay, that makes sense. I really, I need to pick up those books. I keep forgetting they are out already. Um, I'm really excited for Rebel Rising just because I want to know what happened to Jin through all that time. I really want to know. I think that one is definitely the more, um, it fills in the gaps more. Um, Guardians of the Wills is set after the destruction of the temple. It's all chronological, so you don't learn as much about their history as you do about Jin's history. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And then I read Jeff Vandermeer's new one, which I knew I would like, um, because I just (laughs) really love his writing and, like, his descriptions of monsters and his descriptions of weird, unsettling biological things, which we will also talk more about later when we get to Cameron (laughs) Harley. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, Um, so this book is called Born. Um, the summary is basically that a woman called Rachel is living in like a post-apocalyptic town in the ruins of, uh, quote, the company which made like bioengineered animals and like bioengineered technology. And she finds this creature that looks kind of like a sea anemone and it's sentient and she brings it home. And the implication very quickly becomes that it's a lot more dangerous than she thinks it is. And I, that's basically what it said on the, the blurb. Like, that's what I was expecting this book to be about. And it was about that. Um, but it was also very much about a relationship. Um, she's not married because there's no one there to marry them. But she's, like, in a partnership with a guy called Wick. And I thought he was going to be kind of a side character, but the partnership was just as important as, like, Rachel. And it became a lot more about family than I thought it would. And, like, specifically, the creature, so Born is the name of the creature, is 
very obviously cast as like a child in a family that has some tension already. So it's almost about like divorce and about like the way couples fight and about how children fit in that. And that was a little difficult for me and it's not what I expected it to be about at all, but it was written really well. And I like found myself caring about the couple way more than I thought I would. And like there's by the time I got to the end, there's kind of a a moment where I went like, oh, this is why I like this couple so much. Not in a sort of psychological way, just in a like <laughs> oh, this is a trope that I like kind of way. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, which was kind of funny. Um, But I did, like, I did really like them. Um, The writing was, uh, it didn't start out with quite as much of a bang as the uh, Southern Reach trilogy did, but it was really good. And if you want to have feelings and if you want to hear about some gross monsters and if you want to join me in my appreciation of Rachel and Wick, you should definitely read this book. I already ordered it from the library. (laughs) Your description got me really excited. I was like, I need to read that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can join me in writing fan fiction. I haven't actually done it yet, but I joked on Twitter that I'm going to write a 50,000 word fanfic for this novel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, you totally should. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have time for that. Maybe 5,000 words. (laughs) Yeah, 50,000 is a bit of a commitment. (laughs) Yeah, just a bit. But it oh, definitely went in my my list of favorites, and um, it it was what I wanted it to be. Like I really like this author. I'm already looking forward to what he's doing next. He's going to be at a signing a day before I go to the town that no. he's signing in. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no. no, like could I have scheduled this for like a day earlier? But but that'll be I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll meet him one day. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I can find a way if I want to. That sounds like such a weird book. I'm already into it and I haven't even read it yet. (laughs) It's very weird. Well, Jeff Vandermeer was one of the people who kind of not coined the the term, I don't think, but popularized the term new weird and like curated new weird and defined what it was. And that's, um, I think, as high a recommendation as I can give if you like that style. He's like, He's New Weird 101. Him and China Mayville. I don't think I've actually read that much New Weird, but I'm into it. Yeah, he's definitely one to watch. He did like some anthologies that kind of uh, helped to popularize it, I think. I don't know that much about the history, but I was like, I happened to pick up one of his early anthologies, and you can see kind of the seeds of it. And he mentions China Mayville as one of them, like markers of it becoming a genre in the. Uh, like in his blog posts and stuff. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yep. from what I know of China Mabel stuff, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. It's a hard genre to define. I could go on about that for a while, probably. But mm. yeah. So uh, speaking of weird, you read the Stars <laughs> Are Legion. <laughs> I did. I did. It was. It was something. I. I remembered like. When I got to a certain point in it, I remembered how you had mentioned it had pregnancy body horror, and I was like, oh, this is that book. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think I was quite prepared for what you meant by that, but it was it was a really weird book. I was really into it, like, 
I was, I would, I was reading it like I couldn't put it down. It's ruined my sleeping pattern for the record. This made me stay up way too late a bunch of nights because it's got really short chapters too. So like you'll finish a chapter and be like, okay, I'm just gonna read another chapter. And you keep going and then you read like half the book and you're like, oh no, I made a mistake. But um, <laughs> it's written so like quickly. Things happen so fast, but so much happens that it's just really, really engaging. And the world, like the world ships that they live on, are so weird because they're organic, but they're I don't know. They're like ships, but they're not. They're worlds. I don't know. It's really weird. I really, I can't even describe like what I like about the book, but I just really enjoyed it. I didn't like the main characters that much, but everything else was very cool. Well, I feel like they're the ultimate example of unlikable female characters. Like they're kind of (laughs) intended to be unlikable to a degree, do you think? Yeah, especially Jade, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And the chapters alternate between the two different point of views, so that helps make it, like, a faster read, too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, like, it can be frustrating, though, sometimes, because you get to a point, like, where Zan, the other main character, is about to do something, and then in the chapter, it'll swap to Jade, and you'll just be like, God damn it, I want to know what happens. Yeah, yeah. And at first, I was, I really kind of liked Jade and was, like, curious about where she was going, but I, I ended up liking Zan a lot more and liking her whole group. Um, the scientist, I don't remember her name right now, but, the like, the uh, engineer character. I really yeah, she her. was cool. I liked her a lot as well. Yeah. I thought it was a really interesting, like, kind of weird body horror sci-fi way of exploring, <laughs> like, the importance of life, <laughs> kind of, like, and like how it was very much about like women being able to have like like give life and have kids but in a very weird way yeah absolutely well i feel like even you mentioned the ship was organic and like saying that it's organic it doesn't even do justice to what that means like no it's basically a large human body kind of rearranged right like it's made out of the same stuff the humans are and vice versa yeah, it's just, like, trying to describe this book to people is really hard, because it's just, like, even when, because you get a lot of descriptions about what things are, but it's really hard to put it together in your head, because it's not, it's a very alien book, even though it's about humans, it, everything is off and weird and very surreal and bizarre. Yeah, very much so, but and at the same time, the writing kind of moves along at quite a clip, it's like, it's a good adventure story, so you don't get... You get descriptions of things, but you don't get exhaustive, like, here's why this is this way, because you're in the characters' heads, and they they assume that everything is one way. Yeah, which I thought was really cool, because, I mean, it kind of helps with how everything feels so weird, because you don't get, like, ten pages of prose about it. You're just kind of, like, left sort of, like, knowing it's normal, but knowing in reality, like, this real world, it is absolutely not normal what is happening. Yeah, and some of the things the characters assume, like, if I remember correctly, they can eat almost anything, like any plant, any animal, any kind of matter, because they are made out of the same thing as the ship, and the ship wouldn't make anything that poisons them unless it was for a particular purpose. Like, they don't understand the idea of, of, like, organisms with poison is that am i remembering that correctly yeah no that's definitely true yeah yeah and there's a bunch of stuff in it where they just kind of things happen and it never gets explained it just kind of goes on and you know that like the worlds that they're on 
are so much bigger than any of the characters really realize and there's so much more happening but it's not important to the story so it's just kind of there but it really gives you the sense of like how big these worlds are and how strange this universe is even if the characters think they've mostly figured it out yeah and like i think the ultimate scene that does this and the ultimate scene that like you're not going to get this unless you read it is the one where the gear rolls away and like that means so much to the characters yeah that was a really powerful scene i think yeah and like really bizarre and requires all this explanation but really simple in terms of just like what the visual is yeah, and there's also that scene with um the giants as well, which kind of haunts yeah. me because it never gets explained. I'm like, it's so weird. Yeah, like so, are they tiny? I don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I if you like weird sci-fi, I would definitely recommend reading this book. It's a really interesting example of there only being female characters, um, because there are only women on these worlds and. It's just so bizarre. It's so different. It's such a different kind of book, and I really liked it. Yeah, and part of me is like, I want to see a book where there are all female characters, but there's no like biological explanation for that, because I feel like that's kind of a different thing, whereas yeah. in this book, there's an actual biological explanation for why there are no male characters, but at the same yeah. time, it it's something I'd never seen before. I don't know if anyone's done this before. Yeah, because I mean, like, when they first started, like, referring to everyone as woman and everything, I was like, is this kind of like uh, ancillary, where everyone is different genders, but they're all referred to as women? And I realized that, no, everyone is actually a woman in this book. And I was like, oh my god, there are no men in this book. This is so different and kind of nice. Yeah, they're all, like, bi- like, biologically female because they kind of have to be for the system to work. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really cool book. And then I also read um Company Town by someone i don't remember who um and i think i recommended that by one of my other friends and i can't remember why they recommended it and i can't really remember what the, i can't i don't know what the book was really about like i don't know what the point of the book was i think it was about like technology expansion and yeah something like that have you read it it's my by madeline so, ashby so i i haven't read it this is one um i say this and like born had the company was literally called the company like born was also like pretty anti-corporation but um if i remember correctly I, I took a look at this one and it got good reviews but i felt that it was a little too on the nose for what i wanted at the time like it was um the other one that i felt this way about recently was uh the circle the one they made into the movie that like oh, yeah. it was a uh kind of a long thesis about something and it was sort of being preachy even if i agreed with what it was preaching it was being preachy but i say all that and i never i never read it never picked it up so i would you agree with that i kind of do yeah it is quite like it's kind of interesting because the ending of the novel kind of discounts everything the novel itself preaches like the ending of the novel feels really weird and it reminds me a lot of the ending of the twilight series um which is a really weird thing to say these books kind of reminded me of twilight um not necessarily in a bad way but like there were a couple times where i was like i feel like i'm reading like a sci-fi twilight um yeah it's a little bit preachy but it's written quite pulpy that it doesn't feel super preachy when you think about it you're like okay yeah they're they're definitely arguing against like technological expansion and big corporations and stuff like that um the thing like i 
the main character was quite cool. I didn't I don't think I liked her, but she was a really really cool character. Um, it also had a lot about like sex workers and um, their like their safety and like the futures that could come for sex workers, like in the real future. Like I think a lot of this was based on real life like futurism and things that could happen uh which is really interesting it was also based in canada like in newfoundland and labrador i think and that was it took me a while to realize like the slang some of the slang that was happening in there was like canadian slang um i it was really kind of cool to read like a future sci-fi set not in America, like, because a lot of the sci-fi I read in the future is, like, in space and stuff, but usually when you read future sci-fi, it's somewhere in America if it's on Earth, and so it was, like, kind of different because it was, like, a Canadian point of view of what the future could look like, and I kind of liked that because the way the characters talked was a little bit different, and the things that, they, like, they found normal were a little bit different as well, and I'd never thought about Canadian sci-fi before, but apparently it's, like, a cool thing. Um, yeah, that's always cool to see something set outside even outside the United States, because, like, so much of it is based here. Yeah, definitely. I quite like that. I, I, yeah, like I said, I don't really know what the point of the book was in the end. I think there were, like, alternate dimensions and nano things and other stuff happening. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff happening in that book, and I'm not quite sure what the point was in the end. Um, but it was a really fun read, and I, I don't know. It was, it was different. It was definitely different. I I think (laughs) I'm also confused, but I, uh, so it's, I just read the summary real quick, and I think probably the (laughs) other thing that kind of turned me off to it was the, even the the thing on Goodreads is, like, she's the only person without biological, or without, um, mechanical enhancements in her whole world, so, like, she's special. Like, is that explained adequately do you think or does the world feel kind of like it's all pointing toward that argument that it's making her biological like specialness is very much a thing in the book like it's a personal choice for her i think and also like a a financial choice as well because it's expensive to do those things so it was a little bit of an exploration between like um the gap between like people who have wealth and people who don't and how that could um affect you know when things start changing and moving forward um but yeah it was very much like a she's a special character because she doesn't she's still biological and hasn't changed herself um but yeah the ending does kind of go against that a bit i guess in a way it's very strange and i feel like it could have done a bit more like I said, like, I don't actually know what the point of this book was. Like, I can't entirely tell you that the themes are anti-technology because of how it ended. <laughs> so it's kind of hard huh. to explain the book in general. Huh. All right. Well, I'll probably still pass on that one. But it's yeah. funny that, like, I, I I look at that and I see I want more, like, explanation for why she's she's like special and it sounds like there is explanation but then there's on the opposite extreme there's something like the stars are legion where the characters are so subservient to their world and zan and jade kind of had to claw their way into like 
differentiating themselves in that world? I, I don't I don't know. I think I have a thesis here, but I'm not touching it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to hear this thesis one day. But yeah, I can't entirely recommend this book. I don't remember why a friend recommended it to me, so I need to like ask them about it and see why they did. Um, it was, yeah, I can't highly recommend it, but it is something different. And it does star kind of cool. Like the main character, admittedly, is quite a cool co- like girl. Like she's got um, though no. Again, they do kind of like the Twilight thing that she kind of goes through the whole thing. Being like, I'm so ugly, I look really bad, and then everybody else is like looking at her. Like she thinks they're looking at her like in disgust, and really they're eyeing her up because she looks amazing. And I was just like, God damn it! Why is this always what happens? Yeah, I'm. I I see why that's appealing to to like especially teenagers, but. I've seen it too many times for it to mean anything. And, like, that actually kind of goes back to Horizon. Like, Horizon is, like, Aloy is obviously pretty, like, conventionally pretty, but she has, um, this, the whole world around her is kind of wrecked. So, like, people compliment her, but one of the NPCs compliments her with, like, oh, you still have both your eyes. Like, their standards are different. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was funny. Yeah, like, I can definitely see it, like, in young adult, it makes sense to kind of have that kind of thing, because everyone wants to, everyone feels, like, ugly in high school, but they want to believe that they're not. Um, but this is an adult book, like, this is an actual sci-fi novel, and I'm just all like, why does this belong in this book? I, I don't know, I think I didn't like this book as much as I thought I did as I was reading it, in hindsight, um, <laughs> It sort yeah. of sounds like that. <laughs> The mystery was interesting, at least, but yeah, there was like a <laughs> typical kind of boring romance that you could see coming from the start, and it's just, it fell into too many tropes, and I don't think believed what it was trying to say strong enough to actually say anything. Huh, that's that's interesting, and I think that might be the worst crime of, of all. Like, you can fall into tropes here and there, but if you're not committed to the thing you're trying to say, then that can be an issue. Yeah, yeah, I think that that was its biggest weakness. <laughs> Yeah, or if the thing you're trying to say is kind of overdone and unexamined. Mm, yeah, there's that too. It, yeah, it had some interesting ideas, but on the whole, The Stars of Legion was definitely a book that way, made way more of an impact on me, like, over the last month. Cool. And yeah, like, I haven't read Company Town, so I, I shouldn't call it unexamined without having examined <laughs> it. But <laughs> that's just from what? From what it sounds like uh, your experience was. Um, yeah, I wouldn't entirely argue with you. <laughs> all this talk about robots and stuff reminds me that C.A. Higgins' next novel is coming out next week. I'm really excited for that. It's the, the last one in the trilogy, so that should be cool. Ooh, exciting. I have, like, I just got um, Seven Surrenders, I think, which is the book that comes after to like the lightning and so i'm very excited to get into that i read like the first chapter and i was like oh yeah that's right the main character is very obsessed with like uh character sexualities and like romance and stuff and i was like oh god (laughs) it's this again (laughs) like it's done on purpose but it's still very like intense huh yeah i have i have a lot to read right now i I haven't read the new sylvain newell book and i want to do that um i have halo envoy sitting here and haven't started it yet but uh all those will be coming soon yes more books to come i'm very excited i have quite a i came back from australia and had quite a pile waiting for me at the library and i was just like yes more books yep (laughs) i i came back from from texas and had a pile too which is nice (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Don't support so, your libraries, people. Yes, absolutely. Whenever I like don't return a book on time and have to pay a fine, I'm like, I'm okay with this because I'm giving them money. I uh, I joined the Friends of the Library recently, Ooh. and I sort of reminded myself that like you can go to the library and write for free. Like you don't have to go to a cafe and get a coffee. Like you can just go sit there for free. So I might start doing that more often. Yeah, I do that sometimes. It's a nice place. I really like libraries, especially my library. I don't know what I would do without them in terms of reading as much as I do. Oh my god, same. Like, sometimes it takes me a while to read a book because, like, everyone has a million holds on it, but so much easier than either trying to, like, wait for the Kindle version to come out or, like, track down a cheap version of the book in real life because books are real expensive here. All right, so with that, <laughs> with that promo for libraries, go support your local library. <laughs> I think that's everything. Remember to go check out that Kickstarter for Checkpoint because they deserve support from everybody. And for now, don't forget to check the Western Reaches.